Hi folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher. Had a rather perplexed young man ask me not long ago why it is that Christian, some Christians, he said, seem to be so angry at other people. And he said he thought the issue had something to do with the fact that Christians really hate sinners. And he was trying to look into scripture to see if there was a justification for Christians hating sinners. And he said, Frankly, the more he looked into the scriptures, the more confused he got. I asked him to give me some of the scriptures that he had looked into and recommended some other scriptures that we could sort of consider and thought I would go through that process that I went through with him. It seemed relatively helpful to him, so I thought I would go through that process in this podcast. If we look at it, a couple of the scriptures he had found were in the book of Psalms. Now, what we have to remember, of course, is the book of Psalms is a songbook. It's the Hebrew hymn book. These are poems. More specifically, they're song lyrics. And these, the Psalms are meant from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150 are meant to draw out the human emotion and to be involved with, help us explain and engage the human emotions. And so the lyrics tend to be very direct and pointed. Let me give you a couple that he had run across. Psalm 5, verses 4, 5, and 6 say this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. A few songs over, Psalm 11, verse 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. I said to him, yeah, there are also verses, those are Old Testament, again, sort of song lyrics, so we have to be careful how much we directly build our theology off of those. But there are verses in the New Testament, John the Baptist calls a group, actually, of religious leaders who came out to see what he was doing, baptizing people in the Jordan, and he basically called them a pit of snakes, a pit of vipers. Once when someone was talking to Jesus about a political leader in the region, Jesus said, yeah, you can go tell that fox, blah, blah, blah. So we see this idea that there's some anger, I guess you could call it some righteous anger toward these people that they thought were pits of snakes and foxes. But then we see this contrast, and this is what it confused the young man. We see the contrast, for example, in the Gospel of John, when a woman was brought to Jesus caught in the act of adultery. And other men, other religious leaders wanted the woman stoned to death because that's what the law of Moses called for. And Jesus actually shows very tender mercy to this woman. Clearly was a sinner, clearly had been caught in the act of a hideous sin, cheating, not only having sex outside of marriage, but having sex outside of marriage with someone who was married to another person. And Jesus shows this incredible compassion and mercy and helped her get out of trouble with the other folks who were looking to come down on her. And so we have to figure out why in one case would John the Baptist call this group of men a pit of snakes and in another case Jesus would show such mercy and provide such assistance to someone who clearly themselves was also a sinner. One general picture we get of course from scripture is that If we are harming someone else, Jesus particularly draws our attention to the idea that if we are leading someone else into sin, 
he has a real serious problem with those individuals. In some sense, Christ himself, just like with the woman at the well who was a sinner or the woman caught in adultery, in some sense, Christians have a sympathy for people who are sinning, who are caught in certain sins, because Christians understand that sins are really coping mechanisms for a difficult world. When we've been rejected or hurt, when we have fear or anxiety, we often cope in sinful ways. When we're looking for identity, purpose, when we're looking for satisfaction in our life, we often find that in sinful ways. If we had faith, true faith in Christ and his promises, then we wouldn't look in those directions. And so in some sense, Christians have a sympathy for those who are sinning. They're sinning because of a lack of purpose, a lack of identity. They're sinning because they're trying to soothe a rejection or a fear or an anxiety. And what Christians want to be able to do is engage with these individuals, help explain to them that sin is bad, why that particular sin is bad. See if we can help them figure out what's driving that behavior and help them to move past that behavior. The problem comes when the sin becomes more intentional and it begins to harm other people. And the problem really comes, the Bible says, when you are leading other people now into the sin in which you are engaged, instead of going, this is not right, and I need to try to pull myself out of it, you say, even though in some sense my conscience knows that this isn't right, what I'm going to do is engage it further and try to pull more people in. It We think it's going to help ease our guilty conscience if we have more people at the party with us instead of just ourselves. doesn't end up actually working that way, but that's how people sort of see it. And so again, we see Christ in one sense. He's calling somebody a fox and a pit of snakes. In another sense, in Luke 19, 41 to 44, Luke tells us that Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem, literally cried physical tears because the bulk of that city had rejected him. And they had rejected him in part because the message he was bringing was not exactly the message they expected to hear. And their religious and political leaders were pushing them, pressuring them to reject Jesus. And so he wept over them. He knew that ultimately the punishment for that is God was going to use the Roman army to destroy the city and the temple, which happened just a few decades after Christ left the earth. And so Christ had literally personally been rejected by these people, yet he still cared in a way that says, wow, you're making a massive mistake, and I know you are, and I wish I could convince you to have more faith in what is happening around you. But then we see early in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. A man with a withered hand, it says, is present, and Christ wants to heal him. But the religious leaders are saying that would be working on the Sabbath. And it says in those verses, Again, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, that Jesus turned to those men with anger in his heart because what they were doing was essentially virtue signaling. They were being political, self-righteous virtue signaling for kind of political social benefits, for political benefit, for social credit. And in the process, they were harming another person. And that did make Jesus angry. He was upset with those sinners And the truth is, of course, almost any time we sin, we ultimately are harming someone else in some way 
of victimless crime is really imaginary. And so I think where it came down to with Christ and his apostles was if you sin, but your sin can be pointed out to you, you can understand why you're doing that, why it's not right. You can get back on the right track. Then there was great mercy and great compassion shown by Christ and and those who worked with and for him. When you rejected that path, when you decided to stay in that sin, and again, much more importantly, decided to push and bring others into that sin, Christ and his apostles had a radically different approach. I think the issue about some Christians seeming angry at others in part has to do with the fact that there are those who are sinning and there are those who are pulling others into their sin. And they're not only dishonoring God with their life, wasting their life, but they're harming, ruining the lives of others as well. That that clearly brings some issues. But I think a lot of times Christians, because we're human and we know if we read the scripture and we see the example set, it's probably not what we're taught to do. But Christians, because we're humans, we can get angry at people that we think are our enemies. We see someone that thinks they're getting away with something and it makes us dislike that person. Or we see someone who criticizes us. You Christians who believe this, you Christians who act like that, you Christians. And we take it personal and it makes us angry. And we're really not lashing out in a biblical sense, but more in a personal sense. That is wrong. We should not be lashing out in a personal sense. We should care about whether our lives honor and glorify God. I should care about if you've, you understand that your lifestyle might be dishonoring God when it should not be. And I should certainly care if you're harming someone who didn't desire to be harmed. They didn't desire to play the game with you and you're defrauding them or or being violent against them, then yes, those sort of things. I think a lot of times we just have to be careful because we see people who take a different religious view than us. They have different political opinions than us. Christians do need to be careful that we don't make that a personal thing. In fact, I would argue even when we're working against the most horrible crimes that you can imagine, Christians still need to love the one we're trying to help far more than we dislike the one we're trying to hurt. It always bothers me in political arenas. You hear people say, we need to do this with immigrants or reduce the number of immigrants or do it. And if you push them hard enough, they'll say, well, here's the thing. We need to make sure that American workers have the best opportunity at jobs first. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Then speak positively about American workers. Don't trash immigrant workers. You hear other folks say, tax the rich, tax the rich. And again, if you push them, they say, well, it's because I really need money to help these individuals who are the underdogs in society. I say, well, then fine. Then say, this is what I would like to do to help the underdogs in society. Don't lash out against immigrants. Don't lash out against the rich as your enemy. i give you a great example. My wife and I have both engaged with and financially supported a couple of different Christian nonprofit ministries that rescue people, but mostly young girls, but that rescue people from human trafficking, from sexual trafficking, both here in the United States and India and Southeast Asia, Haiti and other places. And as you get involved with these organizations, it is amazing how focused they are on the victims of these crimes. They pray for every day the ones that are abusing these young girls. And though a lot of the times 
They are able to catch the ones that are trafficking and abusing these young girls. And those individuals tend to spend long periods of time in prison as they should for the crimes that they've committed. The ones working in these Christian nonprofit ministries focus far less on who's committing the crime and how much time should they serve and what sort of prison. And they really focus their attention. Their heart is devoted to the people who have been trafficked. And it's really such a night and day difference when you see that Christian attitude of love the one you support more than you hate the one that you're against. It radically changes your mindset. And so oftentimes you may encounter Christians who seem very angry and maybe their angry is maybe their anger is too personal against their enemies. And what they should have is more overflow of love for the victims that they are concerned about. I do think, of course, that a righteous anger against those who are harming others, like in Mark chapter 3, I do think that's biblical to say that you are agitated, that you are angry because there are individuals in the world who are harming others. Again, you may have a drug addiction problem, and I may try to help you work that. Why are you using drugs as a coping mechanism? How can we help you move past that? But when you are the one who's actively trying to get others addicted to the drug so that you can become a successful and profitable drug dealer, there does become then a bit of a righteous anger that I think is justified and that I do think is biblical. And again, just to sort of draw a distinction, I know preachers who every Sunday, they preach about repentance from sexual sin. They, they are telling people in their congregations and in their communities and in their live stream services that might be seen all around the world that the modern sexual sins that we continue to commit are just dishonoring and unacceptable to God and that there must be a repentance. There must be a change of mind. There must be a change of activity related to those things. And yet those exact same ministers who stand in the pulpit Sunday and preach turn from your sexual sin on Monday and Tuesday counsel people. They're counseling gay individuals. They're counseling individuals who are committing adultery against their spouse. They're counseling individuals who are addicted to pornography. So do Christians hate sinners? No, not at all. Again, if someone comes and says, this is the sexual sin in which I'm involved. This is the drug to which I'm addicted. A good Christian will say, what can I do? How can I counsel you? How can I help you through that process? I had one minister who was questioned about working with homosexual men and whether he thought it was justified or the best use of his time. And he answered to, to another Christian. And one Christian asked another Christian this. And he answered very quickly and he said, you know, of all the people that I have dealt with in my ministry, the highest rate, uh, however you define it, he says, of suicidal ideation, of actual suicide attempts, or of suicides themselves. He said the highest rate that he thinks he has dealt with are homosexual males. And he said he really just feels compelled to try to work with these individuals, to try to help them work through the issues that they're coping with in their life that drives them, one, to the sinful behavior, but two, to this self-hate and to this desire to actually take their own life. And so this individual doesn't hate these sinners. In fact, he's desperately trying to work with individuals. And again, same thing. 
people that are addicted to pornography. That is not a victimless crime. The individuals on the other end, the individuals in that video, whether they say it's consensual or not, I would argue, the Bible would argue, individuals in those pornographic videos are truly, truly victims. And they're paying a very heavy price, whether they understand it in the short run or not. So being addicted to pornography is not a victimless crime. You are harming people. But what we want to do as Christians is say, we want to help those engaged in that industry to find a new light, a new path, a new life. And we want to help those who are addicted. If they understand, if they have any desire to say, how does the Bible define this? Perhaps I am looking for a way out of this tunnel. Would you be able to help me if I were? Then we want to engage those individuals. We want to promote their repentance and their moving on to a new life rather than just hating them and condemning them. Once you reach a point, however, where you're Hugh Hefner and you've set up an entire empire based around the idea that women should be treated like sexual objects for men's pleasure, I think you reach a point where Christians just say, yeah, we really are angry at his past now, but we really are angry at Hugh Hefner and the way that he treated women and this entire cultural change that he set into motion about women viewing themselves or thinking it's okay for men to view them as sexual objects. So I think it is safe to say Christians are not supposed to quote unquote hate all sinners. We are to see that everyone is a sinner, including ourselves. And so in some sense, we see in the sinners that we encounter every day ourselves. And Paul tells us, Each of you did these things that we now condemn in our sermons. Each of us have done those things in the past. What we have to do is make sure we're not falling back on those. And we need to try to honestly address people and say, there's a better way. There's a more mentally and spiritually healthy way. God is dishonored with some of our actions. And we need to try and move beyond that. We need to try to help them move beyond that. If we can, always saying we love the victim far more than we hate the sinner and never allowing anything personal to make us judge or hate or be angry with someone just because they take a different view than us politically or religiously, etc. Our job is to say God is king. His ways should be right. And I personally have tried through the power of the spirit to repent and change my life and give it over to God. And here's why I think you should do that exact same thing and show mercy to the woman called in adultery just as Christ did. That should be our standard approach. We will, of course, in our lifetimes, encounter sinners who almost intentionally want to sin against God, and they want to build as big a group as they can to live in that sinful lifestyle Those individuals, I do think it's fine to condemn and to even hold some righteous anger against because they continue to stack up victims and we should love those victims as much as we love God. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.